<laughs> Get your book out and go to page 39 or 38, and I'm going to read in the Amplified God, the God's definition of love. Let's go over it again. Like I said earlier, this is not storge, this is not eros, this is not phileo, this is agape. It's very different than what we thought. It's the God kind of love, and God is love. So God is agape. Love endures long, and we'd say God endures long, and is patient and kind. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly. We haven't discussed that one, the manners yet. We need to get on that one. And does not act unbecomingly. God, love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights, its own way. It is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong, it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Here's where we're going tonight. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. Now, I'm, uh, let me read 41, the next page. Um, here's the word guile. Yeah, love does not find satisfaction, verse page 41, in the shortcomings of others. It does not spread an evil report. It aggressively advertises the good in people. It defends and holds other people up, credits them with good intentions, and is not suspicious. It never gives up on people, but affirms and encourages them. So... Uh, tonight, while we're discussing this part, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things. So that word, and we'll get into what that really means later on a little bit in, in, the, in the service, but I want you to keep this in mind when we're talking about this subject. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, believes all things. I want you to keep in mind we're talking about flaws, imperfections, faults, and shortcomings in people. Yes. We are not talking about... Rebellion. Sin. Murder. murder. You know, so you see someone murdered next door. Oh, you know what? We we're just, just want to ignore that. We're just going to believe know? the best. Believe no, the best. Go they call didn't the really cops, kill so. them. No, no, that's not no, what we're that's talking not about. what he's talking about. You know, so there, so we'll deal with rebellion later. Um, but I want to look at this right here on page thirty-one, because what they're doing, what Mark has done, is put different translations, and I like it because mm -hmm. sometimes I will read it in another translation, and the light bulb will go, "Oh, I know exactly." You know, some words they use in King James. I'm like, I don't have any idea what that means. You know, I'm not that smart, you know. I mean, they let me out of school. So, so this is great, the Johnson translation. The Johnson, let me describe. Page love 31. stays in difficult relationships with kindness. He's not talking about immorality, your husband running around on you. Love does not play one-upmanship, nor does it react to those who do. Love is not rude or grasping or overly sensitive. And here's where we want to go. It doesn't, nor does love search 
for imperfection and faults in others. That's big. It's, you know, it doesn't serve. And the one before that, the Living Bible, it says love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, touchy. It does not hold grudges and hardly notice when others do it wrong. Now, that's, that's huge because um, people need grace. You need grace. I need grace. Nobody is always right. Nobody always does everything right. And if there ought to be a safe place, it should be church. And at the bottom, yes, amen, at the bottom of that paragraph, TLB, you will always believe in him or her, always expect the best of him, always stand your ground in defending him. I'm going to read something that Rick Renner said. To bear something, love bears all things. To bear something means to help carry, suffer with, or endure. 1 Corinthians 13 states, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we're going to just use our spouse for an example. To love your spouse is to help carry their burdens through life and endure with them through their shortcomings. Yes. I don't care who you, who you befriend or who you be spouse. They're going to have shortcomings. And they're going to have faults and imperfections. And this is what this is talking about. Bear up under it. Amen. Rather than define fault with your spouse, why don't you recognize that they were given good qualities by God that you need. Amen. That's good. And then you have qualities they need. Amen. And you complete one another so that if you see it, this is not a time for you to fall apart. You just go, well, you're absolutely, I can see that's not a strength in your life right here. So let's work on this. And you'll find that that's what it's talking about because iron sharpens iron. A diamond will cut a diamond. And marriage, and it doesn't work all the time, but marriage cures selfishness. If it doesn't, have children. If that doesn't cure it, join a church. Be- because rubbing with people is good for us. Because our spouse has areas that they will, they will be a blessing to us. And I want to read this out of um, this book right here, uh, Henry Drummond. And this is, the, this is the, the one that really got me thinking the way he wrote this. You will find, if you think for a moment, the people who influence you are people who believe in you. You need people who believe in you, though you have not arrived at perfection. And kids and spouses shine under someone who believes they have the ability. That means you're going to have to um, work through their imperfections as they grow. And, and you as a spouse or as a friend can help another person grow in imperfections. I want to finish reading this. In an atmosphere of suspicion, men shrivel up. But in an atmosphere, they expand and find encouragement and educated fellowship. It is a wonderful thing that here in this hard, uncharitable world, that there are still a few rare souls 
who think no evil. This is the great unworldliness. Love thinks no evil, imputes no motive, sees the bright side, puts the best construction on every action. What a delightful state of mind to live in. What a stimulus and benediction even to meet for a day. To be trusted is to be saved. If we try to influence or elevate others, we will soon see that success is in proportion to their belief in our belief in them. People need encouraging. When they do it wrong, don't you, haven't you noticed when you do it wrong, you already know you did it wrong? Do they need someone to come along and go, hey, that was about stupid. You screwed it all up. Well, they know they screwed it all up. Wouldn't it be better if, well, okay, the Bible says your mercies are new every morning. Go to bed, see you in the morning, and uh, let's start over again. And um, I'm going to go into something in a minute about how failure actually is the fertilizer in life. We're going to get into that. It's very good. Many times when we take the time and the initiative to respect someone, you don't know this, but many times you're restoring the self-respect in them that they've already lost. And so when I take the time to overlook your imperfections, your faults, your flaws, and I aggressively advertise and focus on the good that's in you, that self-respect is restored back in you that you've even maybe lost for yourself. So that's that's really important. You're having enough trouble with the world, the flesh, and the devil without you having trouble with, with people in church, Christians. So let me finish reading this. The respect of another is the first restoration of self-respect a man has lost. Our ideal of what he is become to him, the hope and pattern of what he may become. Uh, I was was listening to T.L. Osborne tell a story down in Columbia, and he told the story about a bum was laying on a bench, a park bench, and a man came by and said, may I draw you? And the man goes, sure. So he says, okay, well, sit on the bench and let me and let me draw you. And I think there might have been, I'll give you some money or something like that. So the man sits real still, and he, where is he? He ain't got nothing else to do all day. And so the artist draws him, but he draws him in a tux, a nice clothes, nice hat, very distinguished with his face. And he doesn't let the man see the drawing. And when he's finished, he said, can I see the drawing you drew of me? And he said, you may see it. And he shows him the picture of a very distinguished man. And the bum looks at him and says, is that the me you see? He said, it is. He said, may I have the picture? He said, yes, you may. He said, this is the me I will become. And he leaves the park bench to become the image that the man drew of someone successful. And a lot of times people are just laying, I mean, they've they've been kicked from pillar to post. And having someone believe in you is huge. It's huge. 
And um, a lot of times people have talents, but they are not perfect in all their talents, but they have talents. And it's good for someone to see it, recognize it, and go, you, you can go places. You have what it takes. Yeah. Um, another story that was really cool that I read or actually watched a little video on, it really happened. There was a transition that was happening in a church service, a very large church, a transitioning happening from the current pastor into a new pastorship. And so the new pastor uh, was to be announced that Sunday morning, but before he was announced, um, there was a there was a person that had come in the church. It was a man who was a bum. I mean, he was a bum. He was dirty. He was scruffy. He looked horrible. He smelled bad, and he sat on the back row, and he was treated very badly. He tried to sit up, sit up front a few rows, but people asked him to sit in the back because he smelled so bad. And so time after time after time, he was, he was put on this side, on this side of the church, on that side of the church. People were telling him to go into the foyer because he stunk so bad. And the funny thing about it is that when the old pastor that was transitioning to the new pastor announced the new pastor, that bum walked up on the stage and he took off his bumly clothes, and there was a clean shirt and some stuff. You know, he took off the smelly stuff. Yes, he still looked scruffy and that kind of thing. But he said, today, let's talk about Jesus and what he did for humanity. So and they treated so, their new pastor wow. bad <laughs> because yeah. he didn't look like it. He dressed up bad on purpose to find out what that church was like. What he found was not very good. He got his first sermon and says, we're going to start working on compassion. Yeah. So the way you treat people. So here's the thing about people that are constantly looking. There's two things going on here. People in the church, because you're in church a lot, and that's what I'm talking to you at the moment. But people who are constantly looking and pecking on imperfections and faults in others. Normally, they're not saying yours to your face, but if they're going to talk about someone else to your face, when you leave, they're going to talk about you to their face. So always, always remember, if someone is going to unload on you about someone and what they don't like, then they are going to speak about you when you leave. Yeah, you're next. The problem with those kind of people is two things. Number one, they're covering up their own imperfections because it bothers them so much. Or they're being holier than thou, you know, trying to, uh, yeah, yeah, impress. And, yeah. and the truth is, is that they're not doing well in their own life. So they're either going to blow out your candle by talking about someone else, amen, or, or their candle. So, so Brother Hagen made a statement. He said, um, Blowing another man's candle will never make yours brighter. And learning, so here's, here's a, um, I want to read this. A person who never makes a mistake is a person who never does anything. That's good. That's good. So I'm going to talk a little bit about me and then I'm going to get into my book. When I first started pastoring this church, and I will admit, I think God put me here to grow me up. Uh, He brought you here to grow you up. He puts us together to grow us up. One of the hardest things that I dealt with was I had the idea that I was going to come in here 
and preach the word and you were going to love me. I was in for a shock because hurting people hurt people. And I wasn't ready to love you unconditionally because I wasn't that mature. So I heard a lot of criticism about me and I retaliated. I didn't like it. And I thought, well, I'll just shut them all up or pray them all out. Well, the problem with praying people who are critical out is the next group of critical people come in. And so I began to realize that, you know, there are people who if you preach on living right and they're not living right, they're going to attack you. And so your light becomes a bother to them. Well, through it all, I had to learn that the reason God's sending you is you need the word and not to take it personal. But in the meantime, we, we have this idea that when we see something wrong, we want to divert attention away from our wrong. So if we point to some, Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, you remember that woman you gave me? She, she's the problem here, and she caused this. And God goes, uh, Eve, she goes, oh, the snake. And it's just like we don't sit back and go, well, maybe it was me. So we're hoping that the, the diversion of that would help get us off the hook. Best way to get it off the hook is go to God and go, I messed up. And to realize, and you, need, you and I all need to realize we are not, we're not perfect. We're a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. So the other thing, too, is that when you're constantly hard on yourself and you beat yourself and you call yourself stupid and you should have known better and you should have done better, when you're a perfectionist or you're constantly upset at yourself for not doing it right, you are going to turn that on to other people. It is inevitable. So the, the ba- best and fastest way for you to stop that that you do to other people is stop doing it to yourself. When yeah. you mess up, say, thank God for the blood. Yeah. Thank you for the blood. And there's a huge difference between perfection and excellence. And that's, that's a whole other sermon. That's not for tonight. But too many people cross those two words and think they're one and the same, and they are not. So, so one of the uh, things we're talking about is looking for the good in others. There is a tendency, and, and I, I'm going to use me as an example. We had a meeting here oh, years ago. That Sunday morning, three people got born again. Three or four people got filled with the Holy Ghost. Someone got healed. And I had a group of people who took me to task that I had said a word wrong. And I said another word wrong. I said, let me tell you something. We just had a service where people got saved, and you idiots are sitting here calling me on the carpet because I said the wrong dang word. Well, naturally, I got to grow up. Isn't it amazing how when something goes around, we can remember the one thing our spouse did wrong. We can remember the one thing they didn't do right. They may have had... You may come home, your wife cooked dinner, she cleaned the house, she did all these, and one mistake, and you're on it. 
walk, 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 walk. And you're like, wait a minute, honey. I just got through doing all this, and I made one mistake. This is what it's talking about. There are just some things. Just leave it alone. Let leave. They're, they're growing. You don't even have to mention some stuff. Well, you did good today. Look at all you did good. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's have dinner, and let's go. You know, learn to, learn to ignore their, their imperfections and ma magnify the good. Find the good that Amen. they did. And that's, I believe that's what God does. God did it with Peter. Peter failed. Yeah. Jesus went right back and found him. He's hiding, going back to his fishing business. I'm a failure. I deny the Lord. And here comes Jesus. Well, he's like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. But he didn't climb all over him. Gets him out and says, do you love me? And he goes, oh, brother, here we go again. And he's, the word he uses, you know I love you like a friend. He wouldn't use the word agape. And he said, well, feed my sheep. What does that do to Peter? I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. Peter, you got the goods. You made a mistake. Let's go. I love you. And Peter went on to preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved, and he put his past behind him. Jesus put his past behind him and helped him to overcome a major failure. And we were Amen. talking about that in prayer last night, and Jesus told P Peter, Satan has the desire to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And he said that when I restore you and I'll strengthen you, you go restore the brethren. So how do we process failure? Because I've had people, and I've read in John Maxwell's book I'm fixing to read, would say, what's wrong with me? Many people are very hard on themselves. What is wrong with me? Maybe nothing. Maybe you're undeveloped. So how do you develop? All right, I'm going to read something, and you'll love it. You're going to leave, you're going to leave tonight and go, this was very good. You can start now. August the 6th, 1999, a Major League Baseball player stepped up to the home plate in Montreal and made another out. 5,113th of his professional career. That's a lot of trips to the batter box without a hit. If a player made all those outs conse con consecutively. consecutively, see there, she didn't get all of them. And he averaged four bats per game. He would play eight seasons, 1,200, without ever reaching first base. Was the player discouraged that night? No. Did he think he failed himself or his team? No. You see, earlier in the same game, in his first plate appearance, that player reached a milestone that only 21 other people in the history of baseball have ever achieved. He made his 3,000th hit. That player was Tony Gwynn of the San Diego Padres. During that time, Tony got on base with hits four times in five tries. That's not the norm for him. Usually he fails to get a hit two times out of every three attempts. Those results may sound very encouraging, may not sound encouraging, but if you know baseball, you recognize that Tony's ability to succeed consistently only one time in three has made him the greatest hitter 
in his generation. Isn't that good? When I read that, I bought the book based on that. I'm going, I'm going to read this book. Because what we're going to learn here is failure is the fertilizer to success. You and I will never go through life doing everything right all the time. So I'm going to refer I'm going to jump out of baseball and go to something that I I enjoy. When I started shooting competition pistol, um, the first month I shot out of 80 men, I was like number 60. That means you can't shoot. And I said to the Lord, would you teach me how to do this? And, he, and I'm going to tell you what he said to me. Number one, never have a bad day. He said, competition, all it is is a real test to show you what to work on. That's all it is. It's not, I'm so bad, I'm terrible, I can't hit the broad side of a barn. You get finished and you go, well, I didn't do good in three areas. Okay, let's take it to school. You take a spelling test. The teacher stands up and says, get a piece of paper out. You get 75 words right and 25 wrong. 75 you've got, but the 25 show you what you need to study. Tests are designed to take you further. It All it is is to show you where you stack up in life. Once you learn the other 25, you are now perfect in all 100 words. Of course, next month she's going to have another group of words. But that is how you progress. I took that principle and I decided that competition was fun. I'm not there to prove anything to anybody. I'm not there to wor- worry about how I'm doing. I'm, I'm just lear- I just want to know. So a competition is fun, but the training was grueling. You don't train during the competition. You just have fun. Life is designed to be fun. Go out and have fun, and then when you mess up on your love walk, make a note and go, I found my weakness. I now know what to study. And as you begin to work on that, that is nothing more than to you an area that you're weak in. It doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by God the Holy Ghost. You're loved by God. You love God. That love is in you, but it is undeveloped. Your soul is undeveloped. So the the trials that we go through when you interact with people and and you lose it, you go, I got work to do. And that's what it's designed for. So um, this gentleman, he wrote this. Did you have something? I'm, I'm going too long. Okay. People think failure is avoidable. It is not. Failure is not, you cannot avoid it. The only, I said it earlier, the only people who don't fail are people who don't do anything. If you do something, 
you are going to get mud on your face. Listen, the best seat in the house on the football field is the armchair quarterback up in the stands because they have a bird's eye view. And they don't do anything. They know where the holes are. They, they're like, why don't you just throw it to Joe? He's open. They can't see that when you're on the ground and you're looking over everybody's head. But when you're up in the stands and you're shouting and you got everything to say to everybody, you don't have a right to say anything because you're drinking Coke and eating popcorn. You're not doing any of the playing. Get your butt down on the field and play ball. So, but don't shout at your, your comrades. So your spouse comes home and you go, how was your day? And you're going, oh, God. <laughs> Don't lose it. Amen. All they had was a day where they found what they need to work on. That's all they need. They Amen. don't need you to dive in. <laughs> Haven't I told you a hundred times about <laughs> that? I think I might need a new spouse. Because if they need anybody, they need you to do anything, it's to get behind them and encourage believe them. In them. To believe, believe in them. Believe in them. I believe in you. You're going to make it. You're doing good. You're growing. Mm -hmm. Glory to God. Let's have dinner, and let's, let's pray about it. Let's put that. And then they'll sit back and think about it, get their Bible out and go, I think I'm going to go back and have a talk with them. I, I think I handled that wrong. And, and they're going to come out of it better. Amen. Amen. Are you all poking each other? It says right here, rule number one, you will learn lessons. Rule number two, there are no mistakes, only lessons. Rule number three, assessing a lesson is repeated until it's learned. Rule number four, you don't learn easy lessons, then they're going to get harder. <laughs> In other words, if you're a slow learner, just expect the lessons to become more difficult. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read something to you that I got off of Rick Renner. The 11th point that Paul makes in this wonderful text, love beareth all things. The word beareth is the Greek word stego, like stegosaurus. Stego, which means to cover, as a roof covers a house. Built within the word stego is the concept of protection. Exactly as a roof protects, shields, guards the inhabitants of a house from exposure to the outside influences of weather. Now listen to this concerning your spouse, your friends, people that you're with. Rather than to expose you and your flaws to the view of others, a person who operates in this kind of love would conceal, cover, and protect you. Yes. For real agape love is always there in times of trouble to lend support. I'm going to read 1 Peter 4, 8. Let's put it up on the screen while we're talking about it. All right. Above all, Peter said. Oh, there it is. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love does what? Lover, lover, love puts a roof over your house. Amen. Love covers a multitude of sins forgives and disregards the offenses of others. I'm going to say this real quick. If you have a spouse or even a good friend or whatever, when you are in public, don't expose their flaws yeah. and their shortcomings and laugh about it. Don't do that. Don't call your spouse out in public about the things that, that, that they do that annoy you so everyone can have a good laugh and you make a joke out of it. There, Listen, there are times we joke, okay, and it's fun. And, We've and it's done fine. it a few times, but really but, not but much. But we're pretty, we're pretty careful. 
we're pretty careful. We do joke about each other, and usually it's okay. But um, when you're at a party and you're a little more relaxed and you're very familiar with each other, don't, don't call the imperfections and the flaws out on your spouse. That's, not, that's the recipe for disaster. Amen. Protect them. Protect them. Cover. Lisa, and I, Lisa and I had friends that went to Tom Copeland's church. They, you wouldn't know them. The, the wife, every time, every time we met the two of them, she had something negative to say to him about him. Do you know my opinion of him never went down? But my opinion of her did. Yeah, true. Lady, you and and I told Lisa one day. I said, I really want to look at her and say, you need to shut up. Yeah, and she did. Because she's trashing a good man out, hoping to improve him. He's not changing because you trash him. Especially in front of others. In front of other people. Yeah. And, and I looked, and Lisa and I later, it was years later, we saw them, and I looked at Lisa and I said, they're still married. He's either tough-skinned or something. And when we got around them, we noticed that she said nothing she negative. She had changed. Of, she had changed she so quiet. much. And, and Lisa and I went, Praise the that Lord. was pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say every time we got around them, it was every time we got around them. Not an occasional, you did it wrong, honey, don't do that. I mean, it was constant. Amen. And um, Boy, Brother Hagin was telling a story amen. about a woman. This is, this is, <laughs> that's a oh me. <laughs> Brother Hagin was eating dinner at, at someone's home. And, and back, back then, the, the traveling minister stayed in the home of the pastor. Thank God they don't now. You don't want to. We don't want to. Lisa and I like going home, close the doors, and yeah. not be around guest speakers, you know. And, and that we can let our hair down. She does. And, and just relax. But, but Brother Hagin was having dinner with the wife and the husband, and the woman was rag, ragging on and nagging on him and running her mouth and running her mouth. And finally, Brother Hagin in love said something to her. Is that when she threw the iced tea in his face? Yeah. yeah. She, she picked she up a glass, a glass of iced tea and threw it in Kenneth Hagin's face. Just because he said something about her trash and her husband. Yeah, you need to just. You, you might, you might be, not want to do that quiet. right now. And so and she he threw picked up his tea. tea and threw it in her face. And then she reached down and got the picture, or did no, he get the picture? No, she she did another. She black. got her son's she tea, hugged, yeah, she, and Brother Hagen grabbed yep. the picture, and then she's back down. He dumped the whole picture on and, her, and he looked tea. at her and said, "If you don't shut up, you're going to kill your husband. Yeah, yeah. He is sick because you never shut up." Mm. People can't live in an atmosphere mm -hmm. where they're beat all the and time. Suspicion and emotional abuse. Yeah, emotional abuse. It doesn't work. No way. Lisa and I know another person who puts up with it, and they're not doing well physically. And, and Lisa said, are you going to say something? And I said, I'm not. Uh, they didn't ask me. So I'm just, I mean, it's hard to unscramble an egg. And we already know that if I say something, 
they're going to defend themselves. And I'm like, I don't want to go through that. I'm just leave it alone. Amen. Amen. So I just want to read the definition again of, you know, the Bible says confess your faults one to another, not to everybody, one to another. If you faulted someone, confess it to that person, yeah, not like tell everybody. Tell everybody. But it says, so a flaw is this, ready? A flaw is a mark. It's a mark. It's a fault. It's an imperfection that uh, in, in a substance or an object, a fault is a um, unsatisfactory and unattractive feature in a piece of work or someone's character. An unsatisfactory or unattractive piece of work, you know, in a feature, in a person's character. And so we're not talking, and I, we, he and I had this discussion because love believes the best. Love hardly notices. Love bears up under all things. So I just threw this out to him because I, I do that. We challenge each yeah, other. We, we have coffee in the morning and we talk Bible and pray and do all And I wasn't arguing, but here's what I said. I said, let, let, me, just, let me just get really straight with you because I know people are going to have this question in their mind, but they're not going to say it in front of us during the service. I don't have anything good to think about so-and-so in a political figure that is killing babies, that is doing this. I, I can't believe the best of anything about what's going on. I can't believe one good thing about Hitler. Let me just use his name. I'm not going to use people that are current. We're not going to say Biden. <laughs> So, so how do you believe the best of someone who is on purpose destroying your nation? And Pastor Morgan said. When you stop and think about the fact that, that Biden, God loves him. Yes. Well, whatever we have to say about him isn't going to do any good. Right. But what he needs is prayer. He does. What he needs, yeah. what he needs is Jesus. He's going to hell. Okay, there's no reason for me to heap anything on him. Running around, talking trash about him and all that, or mentioning his name on a Wednesday night, there's no reason to. <laughs> but uh, Hitler was good, but Biden's this. You know, oh, my God. Hitler's not really bothering you and I right now. But, um, but in all reality, there's a lot of things going on in America, and uh, we, need, we need to pray for people. And we need to yeah. believe the best. Now, let's talk about family members. You see stuff, and you're like, that kid, oh, dear God, help him, Jesus. They need prayer. And it's very often, Lisa and I have a term in our house. If you hear us say it, you will now know what I mean. I will say, I'm going to kill him. Now, what does that mean? Kill him with kindness. With kindness. That means I'm going to aggressively go after them being kind. It's very difficult to fight kindness. You know what I'm talking about? When you see your family members making mistakes, Papa beating up on them, or Grandpa, or, 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 or Dad, I've already learned. They already know. They know they're wrong. And so what happens is they start avoiding me. I go find them, take them to lunch, and I say nothing. I let them know, I, I love you, mm -hmm. I believe in you, 
You're a good kid. Let's go. Just the believing in them will very often turn them. But the other way, they're not coming back to God. If they mess up, they're not going to own their own. They're going to Adam and Eve hide in the bushes until I, someone goes and finds them and loves on them. Now, there may come a day when they ask me a question, and I'll back up and go, well, do you remember this day? Yeah, that, that got you in a mess. Don't do that. But the other thing that I wanted to point out, too, is when you have situations like that, first of all, you can, about someone personally, you can say, okay, Lord, I, need, I want to pray for them. There's human value because of the blood of Jesus. And so you got to turn that around in your head about that personal person that Satan has taken hold of and they've allowed that. So now that person is valuable because of the blood. So pray for him. However, the ideals that are in place that are going around to, to corrupt, to destroy for our demise, those you can be against, but you can believe and bear up and believe the best in a situation that God will turn it around for you. So we've had people word. leave our church here mad. I'm not. I'm not mad at. It. Sometimes I don't even know what what I did wrong. Okay, I'm sure it was something, but they come back later. You, know, how do you think I'm going to treat them? Very good. Amen. Uh, listen, God believes in you. I'm not God. If God's working on you and you screwed up, that's between you and God. But I'm not God. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that over your head. You mess up around me, you're going to get a hunk, a hunk of burning love. Now, you may reap what you sow, but I'm not adding to it. Okay? So I want to tell another story, and I want to read a scripture to you here. It says, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than a house with a contentious woman. Now, it's not just women, but I had a... A lady came in my office one day, and she was a complete basket case. Her husband had uh, got a girlfriend, and he was drinking. And, I mean, she, she was a royal, royal mess. And so I, I said, okay, let me go talk to your husband, and I'm going to dig into this a little bit. And through it all, what I found out, Every night when he came home, every night. How come you don't help me with these dead gum kids? Why is he always sitting on your butt? I do all the work around here. I mean, this lady was a world-class mouth-running nag. World-class. And finally, he started going fishing at night to keep from coming home. I don't want to come home to this mess anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he could have done more around that. But, I mean, she just would, I mean, she was like unending mouth. And one night he was out fishing and the secretary went with him. And she is not an ag. So he has an affair with her at night in the boat. Then he feels bad about it, so he starts drinking. Now he's an adulterer. Now he's drinking. Now he don't want to go home. And she comes to my office wanting to know if I can help him. I said, I can, but we're going to start with the problem. It's you. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. It did. I was there. Yeah. And I looked at her and and I said, I have one question for you. (laughs) Do you want your marriage to work? She said, yes. I said, you are going to learn to shut up. Now, in her defense... 
I know her parents. They never disciplined her. They did not raise. She was a brat growing up. Mm -hmm. She was in my youth group. The reason I know this, that you don't know her. She didn't go to this church. And so the parents, in, if you said their daughters, they protected their image by never disciplining their daughter. And then she gets married, and she's a, she's a work of art. And, of course, the guy she married to, they ran off and got married against both parents' wishes, and it's a royal mess. Now, they're in my office because they want me to help them. And I said, you're going to have to learn it is time for you to become an adult little girl. And, I mean, it was hard on her. I mean, oh, I said, do you want, do you want him back? I do. Okay. So we had to have counseling on the way you treat your husband. And all of her insecurities, she had to give them to God. She had to learn to, to treat him with respect. And then I went and found him and prayed him back and got him off alcohol and got him and got the girlfriend down the road and got him back in the house. And to this day, they're married doing well, doing well. Thank you. You're right. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> and, and we don't know what Darryl, Pastor Darrell even does for a living. He doesn't even work for a living. Only one day a week. And... No, she, no. But, but no, in all reality, all what, the it, what, what the man did was wrong, wrong, wrong. But it was his carnal way of dealing with a crazy woman. Yeah. Who, who thought that nagging was the way to get motivated. He, he, nagging doesn't motivate a man. If, if you're nagged, uh, how do you stop nagging? You stop. <laughs> what do you do when you're nagged? You do nothing because no one can nag you if you've done nothing wrong, which means you've stopped making mistakes because you no longer do anything. So you stop doing the good and the bad. There, does that? I mean, it's a you're long story, but I, I'm hoping you're getting the picture. <laughs> she had a good yes. man. Yes, she Imperfect. Did. But good, and she and this mouth of hers got her in a world of trouble. Now, and I looked at him and I said, "Let's don't blame her." You, do you do you want number one? Do you want to go to hell? No. Okay, the girlfriend goes. Now the booze goes. What's the booze for? Guilt. Mm -hmm. He's trying to drink his problems away. Mm -hmm. But you know he he he's and the church he went to. Oh dear God, they weren't going to help him. Thank you. We knew that. Yeah, we knew that. People come in here all the time from other churches, and you need to know this. And then they turn around and go right back on that church. <laughs> Thank God we could help them. But I, I, I wanted to read one more to you. Are you ready? Just one more. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than a contentious woman. <laughs> Zach said preach. No, no, I'm not saying it's always <laughs> That's women. That's not Zach. Let's just say it this way. I just way. said he said preach. <laughs> It's, it, know, listen, your home should be a safe zone. Your spouse safe haven. should be the one person you who believes in to. you. Yes. You mess up, you ought to be able to go home and go, ah, God, this was a bad day. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes when your spouse starts telling you about the bad day and they leave out certain details, let them leave them out. 
Because he doesn't want to rehearse or she They're doesn't want to. They're not asking you to tell them how to live. The, well, let me give you the what you needed to do. They're just, they're just venting. They, they want to talk. They're not necessarily wanting a solution. I wasn't looking for a lecture. <laughs> yeah, my husband, now men are this way. They're like, okay, here's the solution. And they go down this mechanical path. I'm like, I really wasn't looking for a solution at yeah. the moment. I just want to vent. We've both, and then I'll be good. We have both done the, <laughs> let me give you the four points. And she's like, I don't want to hear it. There's a book on my table. What she's wanting is an ear. And uh, you're going to do right. You're going to You're going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to read something. <laughs> and I have this journal. And I, when I find something really, really good and I want to save it, I cut it out and I glue it in. So this journal is so old that the leather is what's fake leather. But anyway, this is written by, um, by Theodore Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives violently, valiantly, Thank you. Who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deeds. Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows that the end is triumph of high achievement. Who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that his his place shall never be with the cold, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. How many of y'all have ever heard that before? I love that saying. Mark Hankins got that on his wall in his office. So we were talking this morning, you know, the, the quarterback. Hey, listen, listen. Easiest thing in the world is to play football from the stand. Easy. Hey! What is wrong down there? You fumbled the ball, you moron. That guy's in the game. You're not. This goes on in church. You did what? I can't believe you would do something like that. I have never done that. I've never done anything. I told a person one time, and I did it in anger, and I have since repented. I said, in all of my shortcomings, I have led more people to Jesus than you. I've had more people healed than you. I've, I've preached the gospel more than you. Shut up. You want to find fault in me? Catch me. Well, y'all got quiet. I mean, I was talking to a parishioner okay. that I didn't like very well. Okay. Listen. I, 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 Rosa's sitting right here, and we went down to Honduras, and we had a, a person that came in my apartment and started telling me all that Rosa's doing wrong. And I said, be quiet. I said, Rosa is running this thing. She's doing fantastic. She has put all the effort in. She has built the bathroom. She has painted this church. She has got a move of God. And if you want, you think she's doing it wrong, you go start your own ministry. Anybody can find, see you do it. Well, she did it wrong. Well, hello. Everybody does it wrong. How do you think you learn not to do it wrong? 
by doing it. The only way to avoid doing it wrong is to do nothing. Nothing. And so the old adage, I like what you're doing wrong better than what you're not doing I have, I at all. I'm not mad. I'm not mean like that anymore. No. I've been reading my love book. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> this actually was a long time ago. It really was. And, and, it was and, yesterday. No, it was not. It was not. That's lying. You know, Brother Hagen made a statement. He said, never preach on something you're still working through. <laughs> Except your love walk, you'll never be through. You'll never arrive, so you might as well preach on love. But in all reality, you know, there, there was a time in my life when, you know, I'm just doing the best I know. And, mm -hmm. and, I mean, I have a lot of successes. And I've had failures. And I really don't need you to give me a list on all that I've done wrong. If you, you, you know, especially since you and the person I'm talking, have ne you've never even led anybody to the Lord. Well, I know, but I was praying. Go back to prayer because God wants to have a talk with you. So anyway, I've grown. If they come to me now, I just say, be blessed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Don't be afraid to say to somebody's face when they're not aggressively advertising the good in another person. Don't be afraid. First of all, you don't have to continue to listen to that. And there's a nice way to cut that off. There's a nice way to cut it off. But don't be afraid to look at them and say, you know what, I don't really see them that way. Someone came into this church that I didn't know. They were coming here a few weeks. I don't know. Maybe they were seeking us out, searching us out. Now, now I don't even know because some weird things happen with them. But they found out. All of a sudden, I see them next door to my house visiting a neighbor, uh, my neighbor. And um, I was like, okay, that's, that's strange. And they looked over the fence and said, you live here? I'm like, yeah, but they had asked me in church a couple weeks before, where do you live? And so I'm not, you know, people I don't know, I don't really like to say where I live. I'm just like, hey, I live out there in Zellwood area, you know, Mount Dora area. Orlando somewhere. And then all of a sudden, this, this, this lady is next door visiting my neighbor, and she's peering across the fence, and she's like, hey, you live here? I'm like, actually, I do. And so she started talking about my neighbor on the other side of this neighbor, about how she's such a witch, and she used to, okay, whatever. She knew her. And um, maybe maybe rented a house from her. I think she rented a house from her or something at one time. And uh, she, she started talking about my other neighbor, which I'm good friends with. She's been a blessing to me also. And so I said, you know, uh, I don't have that experience with her. I don't know her well, but I don't have that experience with her. I, I like her. Don't be afraid to look at someone and go, I like them. I don't have that problem. You know, and just shut it down. Because, you know, your, your ears don't need to be garbage pails. I love what Brother Kenny said. Um, this is not about this subject, but is about what we said earlier. He said this to me and to us like a long time ago, and I know it's a saying. He didn't make it up, I don't believe, because it's in books and things like that. But he said, don't ever burn the bridge that you may have to walk back over. So when someone does something to you and they get all frazzled and frazzled and they leave and they're mad and you, you, you stay mad at them, but you know what? The truth is just, just let it go because, you know, you may have to walk over that bridge, or they may have to walk over your bridge. So don't ever burn the bridge that you may have to walk back over because that's your only connection to the other side. So we're talking about believing the best. 
And actually, that's a wonderful, it's faith. It takes faith to believe the best. When you look at a person and go, I know them, they're doing well, they're doing good, they're growing, you have chosen to see the good. You're looking for gold. Um, What was it, Jack Hayford, I actually had got to eat lunch with him at his house. It was wonderful. And he made a statement. He said, see people as they can become. And I came home and I went, I, I learned, I learned, he preached a lot of stuff, but I will never forget that statement he just made. See people as they can become. And so it's a wonderful way to live. Don't you feel a lot better if your pastors like you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah don't you like it when people like you? Amen. I think the key is once they find out what you're really like, do they still like you? And that's a wonderful thing when you look at a person and go, and I still love you, I know you, and I still love you. The people that have, that Lisa and I know are in ministry, Mary Fran, Cindy, Mark Hankins, their love walk is, is, is awesome because they'll get to know you and they still love you. And Trina, we, we, we've been in cars with her and traveled no airplanes with her. If she's ever said a negative thing about another human being, I don't know it. They they just don't trash anybody anywhere ever out. They believe the best. And that and their kids know it. Their family knows, their church knows it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so these people definitely have imperfections. Oh yeah. We're not saying they're perfect because they're not. They have their they have their flaws. And some of them are kind of right out there, right out there in front of you. But their love walk, you know, towards us is impeccable. And so that really encourages and strengthens us. You know what? We're, we're not perfect in the areas of our mind, soul, will, and emotions yet either. But um, they're not either. But what they've learned to do and what we're, we've learned to do is that when something happens, they, they, they say something, they do something, they just let it go. And then you're right back where you need to be with them. And so that's, that's a good quality in any person. I know that I'm sure we get opportunity to say things that maybe you heard wrong and that we hurt your feelings, but we our intentions, believe the best that our intentions are good and that they're there to help you and save you from bad things. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, we got a few more minutes, and I want to read something else from this book. And um, I, I pray this helps you. People think failure is an enemy. It's not. Failure is not an enemy. Most people try to avoid failure like a plague. They're afraid of it. But it it takes adversity to create success. NBA coach Rick Pitino states, and even more strongly, failure is good. He's the one that said it's fertilizer. Everything I've ever learned about coaching, I've learned from making mistakes. You know, a lot of stuff I've learned pastoring, I could, someone said, um, I told him, I says, I'm going to write a book one day, How Not to Pastor. <laughs> I said, it'll be about 100,000 pages. Because the, we've, we've done, I've done a lot of things that didn't work. Well, what do you do? Well, you go back and find out what does work. Yeah. And you remember those things they're, they're ingrained in you. I'd like to tell you a story. 
Um, and uh, it's it has to do with some people that are in this church right now, and I'll tell you who it was. I took an Aztec, which is a twin-engine airplane, to the Bahamas, and I carried my youth group over. Uh, Jill Yansginski, uh, Barbara Neff was in the plane, and um, Eric Bachanov and a bunch of teenagers was in my airplane, and I took them over. And... Um, when I got over there, I got a phone call that Gladys Morrison had passed away. And I got back in my plane, and I told our crew, I said, I'll be back tomorrow. I've got to go do this funeral. This is a lady been in my church since then, and I need to go. I, I can't give this to someone else. I'm going to go do Gladys's funeral. I got in my airplane, and I flew to Nassau because you have to go through customs to leave the country. And the, when I was on final landing the airplane, the uh the air traffic controller told me to hurry up. He said, you got a 747 breathing down your neck. You need to hurry up. Well, I landed at 105 miles an hour, and I took the first taxiway. I didn't take the, I didn't. My prop hit a taxi light and destroyed the prop and destroyed the engine on the airplane. Just tore it to shreds. So I park my airplane, and I call the owner, and I apologize. And then the insurance covered it, and I had to pay the deductible. And I remember it was $1,500, and I felt, you know, when you do something like that, you really feel stupid. I had already made up my mind, and, and I called the owner, and he said, don't you ever get in my airplane again? I said, I won't. But then I was flying with a friend, and I said, well, you know my record. He goes, you can fly my airplane anytime you want to. I said, why would you do that? You already know that I tore one up. He said, you'll never do that again. He said, you're a better pilot now than you've ever been. And that, and that statement stayed with me. When you're around someone who's really, somebody said a businessman will destroy three and a half businesses before he knows what he's doing. You know, when you, when you mess something up, you're a better person. Yeah. I know the Baptists preach that God does it. He doesn't do it. You, you know, he doesn't have to. You're already got enough going wrong that God doesn't have to help you. But in all reality, if we're sitting here and the older you are and the more mature you are and the wiser you are, you will look back and go, there are things I will never do again the longest day I live. And you're wiser because of it. And, you know, failure is not final. Failing doesn't make you a failure. It actually can make you better if you will press on. Now, the key, what we're talking about, is the people who know you. They're watching you go through life. What you need is that when you're around people who are living life and they get up to bat and, and they... They strike out. What they need from the coach is, good man. Good man. You'll do well. Get back up there. Your wife, good lady. You'll do well. Let's go. Your husband, good man. You'll do well. Come on. Isn't that a lot better? Now, we're not talking about he was out with another woman tonight, but we're not talking about that. I came home drunk. We're, we're talking about... Mistakes, shortcomings, failures in life, and everybody makes them. Go ahead. Yeah, and so 
The truth is, is understand this and remember this, and we're going to um, confess, and you're going to go to, uh, I just lost it. You're going to go to page 16, and uh, just open your book to page 16. <clears throat> but um, before we confess this, I just want to say and remember, for your own sake and for other people's sake, people cannot thrive and flourish in constant battering no. Of what you're doing wrong, on what what you're not doing right, and all these things. I'm not telling you to go watch this movie. But in the movie, Quigley Down Under, with Tom Selleck, there was this point where this woman, she's crazy Cora, she, she was the way she was because of all the mental abuse of her husband from Texas. And he just, he, he got rid of her, he forsook her, because she, because she killed her baby. Because she was afraid of making mistakes. When the Comanches came around, she was trying the to Indians quiet came. the Comanches. The Indians, yeah. they came around. They quiet the baby, quiet the baby, and she smothered it. And so husband said, sent her on a ship, sent her to Australia. Didn't want to ever see her again. Well, when it comes down to the end of the movie, the truth is, is that Quigley, at the end, you know, believed in her. He said, you know what? Here's my gun. I'm going to town to get supplies for this little Aborigine baby that, you know, fell off the mountain that she was taking care of now. She's hidden in the cave. He said, here's my gun. Just use it. You'll be fine. And she's like, all right. So he goes, and this night, the dingoes hollering, the wolves, whatever, and they approach into the cave to kill her and the baby. And so she starts this this thing where she takes the baby and she's smothering him, right? Shh, shh, because of fear. And so all that does is, is just, it just wreaks fear in your life when people are constantly battering, battering, you're afraid you're doing something wrong all the time. Finally, the greatest part of this scene is that she sees that she's about to kill this little Aborigine baby that she so loved and nursed back to health. And she, here come the dogs, right? And here's dingoes. the gun, the dingoes. She just picked up that baby, she said, set him down. He was about two years old. She's like, you cry, baby. You cry. You cry with everything you got because we're both going to make some noise. Grabbed that gun and shot every dog. And, and so that, that was just so, so powerful to me going, man, don't destroy people with your mouth. It doesn't do anything yeah. for them but destroy them. I got one more story. We're out of time. It's 816. Let me read this. Many of you have heard the story of the... Uh, the, the, the two sons, uh, the prodigal son, and even though we've talked about the brother, I want to talk about the prodigal for a moment here and how God treated him. And we know that what he did was wrong. He looked at his dad and said, see, you're not supposed to get your inheritance till dad dies. And he's looking at his dad and going, I want my money, and I want my money right now. And his dad gave it to him and his brother, which wasn't right, and he went out and, and, and blew all of the money. We know that. Um, he says, and, and, and so the, the son says, he came to himself, how many of my father's hired servants has brevet enough to spare? I perish with hunger. I will arise, I'm going to my father, and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Now, he's repentant. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son went through his rehearsed speech. 
Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And what I'm going to read you, the Father is ignoring all of that. And he turns and says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and kill the fatted calf. My son is home. What a wonderful way to treat someone who has destroyed their life. And these, the story Jesus is telling is about the way God treats you. When you and I screwed it up, we turned around and came back home. And so agape, God wants you and I to do that with each other. We are a church, and we're going to get to watch people do it right, and we're going to watch them do it wrong. And we're going to get to know each other well. And I'm going to tell you what I'm asking and what God's asking. Be compassionate. Be merciful. If you know something about someone, you put your arm around them and go, welcome home. You'll be fine. You'll do well. God bless you. That's what happened with Peter. That's what happened to Paul. Um, I think there's another story somewhere. I'm, I'm missing it. Um, but he's always welcoming you back and cleaning your slate and giving you another chance. So how many chances does he give you a day? Four, what is this? The 70, 490. 70 times 7? Yeah, in a day. How many do you give each other? Ooh. Well, I did it three times. Okay, you're, you still got a ways you're to way. go. You got a way to go. <laughs> got some long lives I think it's you. more difficult to forgive people who you give Love. your heart to. Yeah. Because they hurt your heart. They, the people that hurt you the most are people you let in your life. And you need to let it go. Yeah. One Sunday we need to come here and talk about forgiveness. And I mean it. He said ought. And that means anything. Anything. Let it go. Treat them well. I have gone out of my way to find people who I used to didn't like at all. And I quit avoiding them, and I went and found them and went and did something for them. Because that's the way I want God to treat me. And it's the way he treats me. I mess up. He treats me like I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm going, God, you. And he's going, well, just reciprocate that. And that's how, we're re that's how he's asked us to be. Amen. Y'all ready? Here you go, page 16. Say this with me. I am love. I am love. This is at the bottom of the page. Love thinks no evil. I do not keep an account of wrongs done to me. Wrongs done to me. Instead, I erase resentments. Instead, I erase resentments. I do not rejoice in iniquity. I don't rejoice in iniquity. I do not find satisfaction in the shortcomings of others. Find satisfaction in the shortcomings. I do not spread an evil or bad report, whether it's true or untrue. Rather, I rejoice in the truth, aggressively advertising the good. I bear all things and defend and hold other people up. I believe the best about others. I credit them with good intentions. I am not suspicious. I do not live my life in suspicion. 
I hope all things. I never give up on people, but I affirm their future. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.